Record Store Dropouts demo, take one. All right, so after we play that, we're going to transition to a G chord. We're going to play that for about eight more bars. Sound good? Uh, the, the first part does, but what's a bar? Oh, you know, like, like a bar, like, like a, a music bar, like a measure. What's a measure? Oh, God. Uh, you know, why don't we just make a podcast instead? Oh, that, that sounds great. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Record Store Dropouts, a music-adjacent podcast for music-adjacent people. My name is Sean, my pronouns are they, them, and I was selling records in a kind of quasi-record store space today, and actually we are going to talk about that. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they and them as well. And between Sean and I, I guess I would consider myself the resident music maker here at Record Store Dropouts. We record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Ho-Chunk Nation. And today we are going to be talking quite a bit about communication, which is an all-ages music and art space, possibly a record store. We'll talk about that later. And they're dedicated to fostering a vibrant, creative community for Madison, Wisconsin. Today, I was not able to be at the record sale, but you were, Sean. So how was that? It was really lovely. It was my first time selling in a physical space. I do have an online shop at Discogs, but I don't really take a crate anywhere and like interact with people and talk music. So today that was just like really cool. It was kind of like Ghost World, which is a problematic film in a lot of places, but it reminded me of Steve Buscemi's character Seymour, who is a record collector, has these kind of parties, and you see him saying like, oh, well, you might like this, but if you don't, you can always bring it back, and I'll either refund you or you can trade it in for something else. So I was just in my kind of dramatic Leo mind just being like, oh yeah, this is what I have it listed for on Discogs, but I can go as low as like $15 or something. And it was kind of just neat to to play in that space, right? But apart from that, there was one family that came in that really warmed my heart because all four of the members in the family were really interested in what was going on at the record sale. There were some groups that came in where the kid was like kind of bored and the parents were like, We'll be done soon, but we're going really quickly. You know, their fingers are going as fast as they can flipping through things. But in this family, one of the kids was interested in Elton John, and the parents pointed out a record to them. Another kid, the father said, oh, you might actually like this Grimes record, and they ended up getting it. And that was just, like, so cool for me to see that kind of appreciation for vinyl being passed down through generations and from parents to children and making it that inclusive kind of experience, right? And if we think about communication as an all-ages venue, I think that's exactly why you can do that as opposed to, you know, going to like a flea market or something or it's just like, you know, maybe the kid wants to do something else because also today, Alex, they had a tile painting event. 
Yes, that's right, a tile painting event. For those of y'all who may not have heard, Communication was recently awarded a Sassy grant. Sassy is the Shenick Atwood Starkweather Yahara Association. Its mission is to empower residents to engage in their community. And they were awarded this grant to create a mosaic on the new front wall, the facade of Communication. The tiles were painted today, were all scored and shaped and everything like that, all so that they can be installed on this new front wall on the weekend of July 13th and 14th. So, Sean, what were some of the things you saw at this tile painting event today? So it was a nice mix of people across all ages. The idea for the tiles was that it would be kind of like a bust or a torso and had kind of like as a self-portrait, right? But it didn't need to be hyper-realistic. I saw some people who, like, one person did kind of, like, Okay, I don't think it was like a fursona, but I want to call it a fursona because that's oh, yeah. the only word I have. But I guess like more anthropomorphic kind of like rabbit sort of thing or like geometric shapes in places of heads, that's kind of thing. And they limited the color palette to these like really evocative like lime green, flamingo pink and kind of like sky or baby blue. And the nice thing about it was that you didn't have to be formally trained in any way or a super talented creator right it's just like make what you see of yourself how you feel like just just create right and get involved because we can't do this on our own communication could have gone out and just like outsourced this almost right and just been like hey we're going to commission something but that would be against the mission statement of this venue so bringing people in and getting them involved actually like having their fingerprints almost like literally in a sense right on the facade of this building is just so so cool to me so alex and becca who will be on a podcast episode in the future were very supportive had a great process set out for everyone so yeah while i was like selling records to a family there were like seven-year-olds breaking tiles with these tools and had safety goggles on and being able to look over and seeing someone like sketch out what they were going to do for their self-portrait and like jumbo crayons and then i'm like looking across to another table with records and their current exhibit is called found incorporations of collage which features the work of tay butler Molly Martin and John D. Brunswick, whom is the subject of a piece by Scott Gordon, which is now up on Tone Madison, called The Defiant Collage of John D. Brunswick. So definitely go check that out. Follow John D. on Instagram. It just hit me seeing all of this happening that communication's really vital to Madison, right? It's unlike any place that I've ever been, and it really just cultivates a lot of wonderful things here and I am happy to see it grow and to see people take a liking to it before we recorded the podcast I mentioned it to you as one of those kind of like underground sort of like things to do in Madison or you'd put it in the kind of like anti-tourist itinerary but it just I don't know I just felt really really lovely today Yeah, that does sound so, so, so lovely. And to have a space in Madison where folks are actively engaging the community, and I think the grant that they received, you know, purposely to engage the community too, is just really, really wonderful. And it's really heartwarming to know that there are such amazing initiatives going on in Madison, Wisconsin, to engage the public with arts and things like that. Communication is really 
just a wonderful space to me. I don't think I've ever encountered a space quite like it, at least since I lived in Urbana. There was an independent media center that I frequented a lot, particularly for shows and other things like that. They also hosted a makerspace, so shout out to them. But since coming to Madison, yeah, I would absolutely agree. This has kind of become like my place where it's like if I have to get a gift for someone or something, like, yeah, I could go to the square or I could go to State Street, but communications where it's at. I believe when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that they house art uh, for sale from around, what, 40 artists? That's what I believe I heard. I don't have a firm number on that, but it's a lot. Yeah, that's unbelievable to be able to house folks, not just from Madison specifically, but from all across the Midwest as well. I remember the first time I went to communication, it was for the Disc and Black Belt Eagle Scout show back in April. I ended up going with a partner of mine, and after spending so much time perusing all of the art that's available, we did end up taking some home with us. One of my partners purchased a really awesome poster from Rachel Dugan. Yeah. Yeah. Also known as Rad Illustrates on Instagram and Etsy. Folks may have seen it if you're familiar with Rachel's work. If you've been to communication, it is the Butts poster. Yep. Yep. So it's basic black and white style. Rachel does a lot of things around doodles, jokes, portraits, and a lot of other subjects. And She uh, has pins now, too. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, but, with yeah. the butts on it. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I have seen it, and I'm definitely interested in getting one. Uh, and I also purchased a heart-shaped air freshener that says, Kiss Me, I'm Satan's Little Baby. And that is actually from Becca. Ultra Terrestrial Project. You can find more artwork on Instagram at ultra underscore terrestrial. And the reason I got this is because uh, it's for my cat. He is, in fact, Satan's little baby. He's the best and also the screamiest monster. So listeners are probably going to notice that Becca's name has come up a few times. And I don't think that's really a coincidence because actually our first guest on this podcast, Natalie Ergus, I initially encountered at a maker's fair at communication, which was my first time at that venue. So from there, I learned about the New Year astrology collage workshop that Natalie was doing. And from that was like, we need to have this person on the podcast. So like it facilitates this kind of like meeting space almost where like people who are doing really rad things can bump into one another or just become inspired. Like whenever I walk in there, I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. That looks like a really cool way to paint something. Or this is a really interesting collage. Like, I just come to life so much in that space. Definitely. And they also feature a lot of artists of a lot of different identities, too. I remember the first and only time I was there, I saw some work by an artist. I don't remember who what their name was, but it was representing a lot of art depicting trans bodies and things around like binding, for example, which is something that I do as a trans person. And I was just like, gosh, I want to buy that so badly. So it was just really cool to see, you know, myself, for example, represented. But I also know that they have quite a collection of artists uh, featuring, you know, lots of different art around lots of different experiences that folks might be having, which is really, really cool and really, really, really important. A lot of what we have been talking about at Record store dropouts is a lot of this about how representation is so so key and so important so when we see artists elevated and seeing artwork being sold right by folks of lots of different identities like that's just so cool and so important for a vibrant artistic community here in madison especially in an accessible space 
Yes, absolutely. And I think that's another thing I appreciate about communication is that it's very DIY. There's a lot of stuff that can be happening. Like you said, you might go to a show later and it's a sober space, right? And as we've mentioned a couple times, it is an all ages space, which is so, so, so important because that means that kids of any age can come in and see this representation or see a band like Black Belt Eagle Scout when they're, you know, on the rise to stardom, right? And in this really accessible way, it's a really, really important venue in in Madison. So Alex, I was wondering if I could try a new segment with you. I am intrigued. Yes, let's do it. Okay, cool. So we can maybe come up with a name for this later. Maybe we can call it Always Judge an Album by Its Cover. Okay. But I also like the Flop Outs, kind of a reference to the Flop House podcast. So listeners, communication initially got a bunch of records from people who just had pieces of their collection to give away. And that's how these record sale days started. So in the communication boxes, I found this record that Alex has not seen before now. We're going to do this live. And I want us to talk about it and actually kind of do a deep dive. Okay, let's do it. So, Alex, let me know what you think of this. Okay. So, this is an album called <laughs> Kill Ball. And that's actually the artist. That's the artist. Great. Okay. So, the artist is called Kill Ball. And I don't actually know what album I'm holding, but it's dedicated to the Denver Broncos, <laughs> which I'm seeing now on the what I believe is the opposite side of the album, and it's got this really incredible mural-looking thing of the Denver Broncos, possibly a famous coach of the Denver Broncos, (laughs) maybe, or player. I don't know anything about football or the Broncos, but let's talk about this album art for Kill Ball's album that I'm holding here. Perhaps it's a self-titled, I'm not sure. So do you want to know the name? I do. I really do. It's called Friends Forever. No way. Yes. That's adorable. I can see that now. There are two Fs on the <laughs> album and it's kind of Wait, where are the framing. Fs? Oh my God. Yeah, it's framing this really just grotesque, doodly kind of... I don't even know what to call it. This is just magnificent. Y'all, before we continue, because we are going to take a deep fucking dive into this Kill Ball shit, you can find it on Discogs. So just type in Kill Ball, all one word, friends forever. You're not going to mistake it for anything else. So Alex, let's continue with this. I actually want you to open it up, but, but let's talk about that Denver Broncos thing on the back really quick. Because what it reminds me of, and I think it's a painting, right? And this yeah. has got to be like old Denver Broncos like logo. It doesn't have the the Bronco head. It's got the big D, which personally, I really like the aesthetic of these uniforms. Several teammates are tackling someone from maybe the Seahawks? I have no yeah, fucking I actually, clue. I think it is the Seahawks. It looks like a Seahawks yeah, logo, I would, I would right? The Colts, beak there. But yeah, the beak is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, I'm sure it's a coach who's wearing a Denver Broncos shirt. You've got like the fucking Rockies in the background, the mountains, but it's like painted in this weird like 80s or 90s, like it's super kitschy. Yeah, kitschy is the best word for it. It is something that I think I would have seen like a huge ass print of in like a sports 
like gifts shop at the oh mall. Oh my god! You know? Yeah, it's totally mall kiosk. Yes, that's what. It, holy shit! Okay, okay. So let's continue, Alex. I want you to open this up. Okay. You should find an insert in there. We can talk about some of the tracks, but I also want to talk about like the actual record itself. Okay, so I do see an insert, and it looks as though it was hand-drawn and copied to make these inserts. And it says, friends forever, kill ball. And it has all of the track titles on it. Again, hand-drawn in these like block letters and things like that. What I'm seeing is some songs called like Carnosaur versus Unicorn. Another, that's the opening track. That's the opening track, exactly. Another one called Linebacker Blitz, which might, you know, make a little bit more sense about the Broncos. L- let's go through all of them. All right. Okay. So we got Carnosaur versus Unicorn, Win, Linebacker Blitz, Charge. With, with three exclamation points. With three exclamation points. Three Pete, March to the Locker Room, in parentheses. The sixth track is Halftime Band. And then on the B side of the album, the first track is Two, the number two. Arise, Elway, two-minute warning, and in parentheses, announcer, Trace Quattro. So that's like a featuring. Gotcha. Trace Quattro is, appears on that track. I but see. announce that's so cute. As the announcer, yeah. And PCP Rock. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the last one is Winners. Because it's important. You've got win on there, but you've also got winners. You need that. So, so you said B-side, Alex, but I actually want you to take a look at the label on the oh. record. They don't describe it as an A-side or a B-side. What do they say? They say first half and second half. And I will also say that this bubblegum pink vinyl is just gorgeous. I I wouldn't have expected it to be this color, honestly. No. I mean, I'm really kind of confused, though, because I would have thought that it would have been really cool if they did, like, an orange kind of creamsicle with blue splatter, but it's like fucking pink marbled and you can see photos of this on the Discogs thing. So if you click on that image, it's like the fourth photo. You can also see the Denver Broncos thing on the back. Like, please go look this up right now. This album was recorded between December of 2002 and January of 2003. I have no fucking clue where it came from. Apparently, 73 people have this on Discogs and 17 want it. Whoa. Might be able to turn a profit off of this. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Alex, as we put this away, I mean, neither of us have heard this. I think someone played like 30 seconds of like the opening track just to be like, I need to fucking hear this right now in the space. What's the over under that you would listen to this? What, what, What do you think you would rate this? Well, how would you judge this based solely on the cover and then give me a listen or would not listen? Okay. I would definitely listen. This is way too intriguing not to. I don't know if I would listen to the whole thing. It kind of depends on what is actually in the album in the way of music. However, just from the entire aesthetic of this album, I what... What is this like? Death metal? Is this? I think like it's like a, hardcore punk metal. Yeah. So, I don't know. I could I could definitely see punk for sure. That would have been my second guess actually. And the little bit about it being dedicated to the Denver Broncos, like this sounds like a band that isn't taking themselves too seriously, which I really really can get behind. So maybe yeah, I would definitely listen. Okay, I'm totally gonna take this back and listen to it after we finish recording. I I'm don't okay with know that. though. 
here's the thing. I don't know if I would listen to it ever again is the thing, right? Yep, exactly. Yes. Okay. But like, this is kind of like, let me just walk you through my reactions as I discovered all of these things leaving communication. The front, it's called Kill Ball. It's done in this kind of like outsider art, very like almost like adolescent kind of like, like it just oozes masculinity to me. Yeah. But like, here's the thing. This is my head cannon. Okay. Are you okay. ready for this? All right. All right. Because it's called Kill Ball. And yeah, the album is called Kill Ball. The band is Friends Forever. My apologies. Again, you can't really tell that from no, not, this album. No, not really. So thanks, Discogs, for correcting our error. Anyway, I think what Friends Forever is trying to say is that American football is so deadly, right? Mm-hmm. Not in just like this literal sense of like concussions and this movement of player safety, which again is coming before this movement, right? Like a good 10, 15 years beforehand. So very prescient and just presaging all of this shit, but in like a metaphorical way that it does damage to our society given the toxic masculinity within it, right? Ooh, yeah. So that's yeah. that's my headcanon. I like and, it. And I really just appreciate the the dedication to the fucking kits, right? Like if you're calling it first half, second half, instead of side A, side B, instead of the features, you're saying it's the announcer. Like just the pure comedy itself in the irony, like I'm in love with it. I think the kill ball thing and the cover is throwing me for a loop because I don't know. I I would have to see the lyrics for this and see what they're talking about, right? Yeah. But it seems almost kind of like a drunk, kind of like party rock sort of thing. So, So I don't know. Maybe... Maybe this is like this really just overt over the top because like, yeah, if we return to the front cover, you have it looks like a stadium filled with people in the background. You have this figure who has these spiked teeth, these yellowed eyes. It looks almost like a runner's like number tag on the front it, it does it's not even like that a football it's not a player football helmet yeah at all? there's nothing about football in the front of this except like the stadium i can see that yeah but i do want to say football not just because of the denver broncos things but yeah. there is like a little abstracted football in the lower left hand corner yeah, right that is like, so interesting so I don't know. I mean, I was a cross country runner in high school and there's always this kind of tension between like cross country and football and other sports, totally especially because right. yeah. they happen at the same time. But yeah, this figure is covered in blood. It looks like they have breasts. I would say they're almost in like a wrestling leotard though. Yeah. Like I couldn't see anyone running in that. So I don't know. It it doesn't seem like it's a, a very flattering portrayal of like, organized sports or professional sports and i mean maybe if you want to call foot like american football kill ball well that's kind of interesting but also maybe that's reading a little too much into it right now keep in mind i have no idea i don't think you do either what any no of this clue. we are just spitballing and bullshitting our way through this and I'm just so tickled by this entire <laughs> segment. Thank you so much for I'm introducing so me to Friends Forever and Kill Ball. All right. Listeners, if you're familiar with Friends Forever and Kill Ball at all, if you have like a just juicy tidbit of information about this, please, please, please email us at recordstoredropouts at gmail.com. Hell, if you know, you're like two degrees of separation away from this band or something like please put them in touch with us well maybe not but 
I'd be kind of curious. Yeah, I would love to hear kind of from the horse's mouth, what is going on with this album art? The whole concept is just so, so silly and so fascinating. Fascinating is one way to put it, Alex. So thank you so much for being a good sport as we piloted this segment for when we become a comedy podcast. But I'm wondering if there's anything else you wanted us to cover about communication before we dig into a little bit of Sarah Barnfart. Yeah, absolutely. I hear communication is expanding and there are lots of opportunities to get involved. Yes. So yesterday, June 15th, they had their first volunteer drive. They've been around for about a year and they're expanding. So the community can get involved by volunteering at the storefront. So you come in on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday, and just kind of like talk to people about the artists that are in the store, maybe just kind of run the cash register, that sort of thing. On evenings that they have shows, you can help out at the door with ticketing. You can actually help to run sound and do booking. And Alex, I don't know about you, but like that sounds really fucking cool. And like, I don't know any other entity in Madison that is making those resources and that training available so easily at least that I know of no right like I've actually very heavily looked into trying to find out how to get training to be sound engineer right and it's extremely expensive to do that to get formal training so like take advantage of these amazing opportunities that are popping up in the community courtesy of communication it's a great way to get involved and I'll definitely be looking into those volunteer opportunities myself Another way to get involved is that they're having an open call for entries right now for library workers who make art. So it's entitled Library Workers Make Art and Community, and they ask, what is your role at the library you work at? Can you use an art form to describe this role and how it makes you feel about your community? You can get more details by going to communicationmadison.com forward slash art dash studio. And the general information is that it needs to be a piece of art under 14 inches around that describes your role, okay? You do not need to consider yourself an artist or have formal training to be included. And the deadline for submissions is July 1st, 2019. And I bring this one up as well because I can't remember off the top of my head, but our guest Sarah Barnfart either works in a library or at a bookstore. The line is kind of blurred for me and I can't quite recall but I would love to see her work as part of this show. Absolutely. Sarah Barnfart would be a wonderful candidate to be featured by communication and to have art being sold there possibly if that's something she would ever be interested in. So Alex, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Barnfart's yeah, work. Let's... What do you think of it? Oh, it's so evocative. I love it. It's multimedia, at least it looks like. Lots of collage incorporation. There's even a lot of text. And it has a lot of sexual imagery as well. And it's one of these things where I'm not quite sure how one would define this art. Is it erotic? Is it just playing with images around gender and sexuality? It's Definitely, like I said, very provocative and leaves me wondering, you know, what what all is going on in these pieces. So I don't want to give too much away from the interview, but Sarah herself does not actually consider these erotic pieces. 
yeah, I can totally, I can see the hesitation to not, I wouldn't, I'm, I very, very hesitate to even guess that it would be erotic. And that kind of like inclination to call it erotic art, Sarah has definitely like grappled with. And it comes a lot from people who follow her on Instagram or engage with the work. So it's just very curious to see that kind of like depiction, right? Especially because these are taken from old Playboy magazines and have been recontextualized. The music connection here is myriad. In the interview, we talk a lot about Nick Drake, but we also bring up of Montreal and Kevin Barnes. Sarah actually made an exclusive playlist for our patrons. You can find that at patreon.com slash dropout, starting for as little as a dollar. Alex, I'm wondering what you would think if Sarah Barnfart designed an Of Montreal cover. Oh my God, I'd be so there for that. I think Sarah Barnfart's work fits in so, so, so well with the kind of styles that a lot of the album artwork in Of Montreal's discography has displayed. Like it's so, there's a lot of illustration in there. There's It's so psychedelic, right? And it's funny that you mentioned the Playboy stuff too, because I think that that fits in really, really well. The rise of, you know, print pornography did kind of get its start in like the 60s and 70s so like perfect time for psychedelics aesthetics right and moreover i mean it's just weird right and of montreal is so weird and it's the perfect combination so i'm here for it and listeners check sarah barnfart's work out i'm sure you'd be here for it as well yeah you can find that work by going to sarahbarnfart.com you can also follow her on instagram at sarah barnfart her backup account is sarah barnfart too alex i think we should dig into this interview yeah let's do it all right we're gonna do that right after this hey this is jordan cohen and I have a new podcast called Digital Warmth, where I talk to producers, DJs, and other people in the electronic music world. Presented by All right, I am now joined on the phone by visual artist Sarah Barnfart, who is a self-proclaimed art bitch. And that's all I could find on the website. Sarah's a really great artist. We're going to be talking today a little bit about whether or not we can fit her into the kind of erotic art label. There's some contention with that, it sounds like. We're going to talk about some music, which will be really great, and just learn more about one of my favorite artists on Instagram right now. So, Sarah, welcome to Record Store Dropouts. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. To start off, let's cut right to the cheese. Is your real name Sarah Barnfart, or is this just some kind of fun moniker that you came up with that works really well? It's not my real name. Like, it's very close to my real name. My real name is Sarah Barnhart. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's very similar. But that's what people used to call me when I was a kid, like, to make fun <laughs> of me. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I always thought it was very funny, okay. so I didn't really, like, take offense to it right. or anything, but when I got older, I kind of just, like, was like, I'm just going to use this instead of my real name, because it's kind of fun, and it's kind of a play on art as well, instead of calling it art, it's fart. So I suppose you could <laughs> yeah. call yourself a fartist? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Sarah, how did you get here? Like, what inspired you to start creating these pieces, which for the listeners are, in the most basic sense, it's a collage, right? You're taking these kind of images that I would like you to describe as opposed to any label that I could give them. But yeah, what kind of background or training do you have beyond this? Well, I'm not formally trained as an artist. I didn't go to school for art. I've always done art my whole life. Like, I've always made something. I've always been interested in making something as a form of, like, expression for, you know, how I'm feeling, et cetera, et cetera. How I got into what I'm doing now is basically it just kind of happened. I work at a used bookstore, and one day some old guy came in and was like, hey, I have a bunch of Playboys. Do you want to buy them into your store? And we were like, we can't buy them. But I was like, I'll take them from you. Like, I'll give you 20 bucks in the parking lot. And I'll buy them from you. Yeah, and that's how it started. Like, I bought all these Playboys. I took them home, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these Playboys now. So I just started cutting them up. And when I first started, I pretty much only did just collage. Like, I didn't do any, like, hand-drawn elements or anything like that. It was just, like, paper on paper, pretty straightforward. And then it kind of just developed. I started, you know, doing different things and just experimenting with, you know, different mediums, et cetera. And it just became what it is now. So speaking about the Playboys that kind of appear in your art, I would assume that some of this might be flagged as like sexually explicit on Instagram. It seems like others have kind of described it as erotic art, but it sounds like you don't necessarily perceive it that way. I was wondering if you could describe your work in your own words and maybe speak to a little bit about how this sort of outside distinction, if at all, kind of like changes your perception of like how you approach your own work yeah I'm, I'm not really sure how to describe it i i do see it getting described as erotic art and sometimes i do describe it that way myself okay because by nature it is erotic i mean there are lots of naked women in my art but if i'm being honest i kind of just use that part to like make people look at it okay if that makes sense Interesting. because it's really easy for me to be like here's a naked woman But once you look at the naked woman, you're seeing that there's so much more going on in that piece. It's not just that. Like, I'm using it to, I'm not really sure how I want to explain this without it being, like, really convoluted. (laughs) I mean, I guess those are all, like, I don't want to say they're, like, self-portraits of me, but, like, Mm. I am a woman. So, like, they are kind of. I find really interesting that you incorporate text into your art and now kind of collaging with images and words that are, like, cut out from books or articles or anything like that. Like, that's kind of a standard feature of collage. But what you do instead is it looks like hand paint or draw or pen in this text. And for example, there might be quippy phrases on some, such as enter the void or I feel best when I'm alone to some more somber questions, such as am I doing this because I like it or because I am sad? With you speaking about these kind of things as self-portraits almost i'm wondering keeping that in mind how do you decide on these particular phrases so recently the work that i've been doing i've been kind of using my work as like a diary almost if that makes sense okay most people probably wouldn't notice this because they're not me i only post one piece a week Really? so and that one piece yeah so i i pretty much only make one piece like i try very hard to make one piece a week and i just work on that piece for the week and that's my piece and because i want that piece to be what i was feeling that week or how i felt that week or yeah. you know something that happened in that week that i 
you know, that I really needed to. So these things are getting made in like real time. Like I post something and then I immediately start working on the next thing. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not like making these weeks in advance, although it would be nice maybe to get a head start because every week I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, what am I going to make? And it's a lot of pressure for myself, but I feel like I want it to be as real and as now as I possibly can make it. Sure. So that's kind of why I do it. But a lot of those sayings on there are just things I've been thinking about or something that has crossed my mind over the last week or something that I internally like was having a battle with or something like that. That's usually what I'm doing. There are some that I have taken from other places. Like there's, I think there's maybe one or two that I have taken from a song. Um, Ah, But for the most part, they're just things that I've, I've had a thought in my brain and then just like workshopped it into something that really made sense to everyone, not just me. Yeah, yeah. Going off of you mentioning things that make sense to everyone, not just you, I feel like there's a certain amount of room for interpretation on the part of the viewer whenever we're experiencing your art, just kind of like what we bring to the equation like will inevitably shape how we see it, right? But given this and given that it's kind of a self-portrait, what do you hope that your audience takes away from experiencing your art in terms of emotions that they might have or thoughts and kind of like self-reflection that it might inspire? The people that I want to see my art are people that are having their own internal struggle. Okay. Like they feel alone. They are having some sort of, you know, blockage that they just can't get past it in order to, you know, move on with what they need to move on with. And I want them to feel like they can relate to me as a person on the internet because a lot of times on the internet, the people that you're seeing are, you know, curated feeds. Yep. Yeah. You're not seeing, you're just seeing everybody have a good time all the time. And that's not how life is. It's just not like that. And I don't want to put on this fake facade that I'm like perfect or like that. I'm like always having an amazing time or always doing stuff. Cause that's not true. Like I leave my house like once a week then I'm not going to work like I'm like a regular homebody like I I'm a normal person and I don't want anyone to think that I'm like some celebrity and I want them to be able to relate to me as a person definitely speaking about relating to people as a person and this idea of kind of like the internet celebrity your sensation right your Mm -hmm. art like just given that Instagram is a social media platform you have I'd imagine much more reach globally perhaps than you might in your just kind of like immediate physical surroundings and i believe you're from virginia is it the richmond area or virginia beach i think i'm actually in northern virginia so oh, i okay, live about Nova. 30 minutes outside of dc okay got you so yeah. i want to talk about or hear you speak about kind of events that you've done in your local area a little bit later on But I'm wondering how your family kind of thinks about your art or those in your community who maybe have seen it. Is it kind of, are you almost like anonymous, it seems, in your community, whereas like you have this kind of like internet-based project? Or or how do you kind of relate to that and what do others think? I'm not like an anonymous person in my community. I do events around here if I can get into them. I do networking and I go to other art shows so I can talk to other artists that are from the area. Yeah. Based on what I've done here, most of the response to my artwork is very good. Like most people don't, they're willing to look past the, (laughs) 
the boobs. I mean, good, to be good. honest, my artwork is very tame compared to some. But, I mean, I don't really get that much bad response outside of the, like, every other grandma that comes up and is like, ooh. <laughs> but other than that, right. everyone's really receptive to it. Scathing. And I think that that has a lot to do with, I don't know, I'm friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and they a lot of people take the time to, like, stand there and ask me what it is. They're not just, like, walking past it like, oh, my God, this is, like nude trash or right, something right yeah but as for my family my family is really supportive the ones that know about what i do anyways most of my family knows uh, the only people that don't maybe are like my grandparents and i'm okay. sure that they would have something to say about it uh, because they're very religious right but my mom is very supportive my cousins and my aunts are really supportive my dad he's seen it he doesn't really say anything about it Mm-hmm. but he's also super conservative, so maybe that's why. But he's not mean. He's come to my art shows before and been like, wow, cool. Okay. So it hasn't been bad. <laughs> Something I wasn't necessarily aware of before I encountered your artwork and started following you is that artists who make similar kinds of pieces that, again, regardless of like the relativity of like how tame it is, right, that you've mentioned, right. it could still be flagged as sexually explicit, maybe in violation of community guidelines or anything like that. So it seems like artists like you who make these kinds of pieces are always at risk of being censored or banned from Instagram. So I'm wondering how you navigate or preempt this censorship and then how, if they want, can our listeners support you and others who make this kind of art? I've been through, like, the whole, like, Instagram taking down my art, and I don't know if I've been shadow banned before. There has been some times where I've been like, I'm getting way less engagement than I normally have, but I'm not sure if it was technically shadow banning or if I just, like, posted at a weird time or something like that, because that really does affect your engagement but when i did get things taken down it seemed like it was happening pretty instantly like like maybe an ai was coming in and seeing something really quick and just taking it down immediately so because i do use like images of real women bodies i think that i was a little bit more susceptible to that i mean i've gotten maybe like 20 to 25 pieces taken down over the last two or three years oh my yeah so what I do now is I just like preemptively censor everything okay. and just make it part of the artwork. So I try my hardest to not, because I don't want my stuff to get taken down, but it is annoying to have to like think about that before I even make the art. So for I'm like, sure. oh, how am I going to make this acceptable yeah. for the community in which I can post it? Because let's be honest, Instagram is just the best place to post stuff when you're a visual artist and there's not really <laughs> another platform like that. Right. That's mainly how I deal with it. The only other thing I can think of is when I see other people getting their stuff taken down, when they repost it, even though I already liked the thing that they posted that got taken down, I'll go back and like the second one that they post with the censors and then comment on it to like kind of get that engagement up, get people seeing it again. Interesting. Okay, yeah. That kind of thing. Because that's really the only way. Because if people scroll past and they, they're like, oh, I already saw that. They might not like it. And then by that standard, they get less engagement and their stuff gets slowly and slowly. Yeah. Like seen less. So that's maybe something that your listeners could do. That's really the only thing I can think of outside of if somebody does get deleted, they can, for this type of thing, and they think it was wrongful, Yeah, they can send a message to Instagram saying they were wrongfully deleted, etc. But that would really depend on the reason why they got deleted. And yeah, 
building off of just this idea of less engagement, there is a bigger picture of financial stability to this because beyond it being this kind of like ephemeral digital gallery, right? Like people's livelihoods to some extent kind of rely on this sort of thing yeah. in part. So, Yeah, that's really true. I mean, I have a full-time job for me, so it's just like kind of fun for me. I'm not yeah. depending on it, but I've seen people be really upset when their stuff get their engagement goes down they can't sell stuff because they're so used to selling so much and then people aren't seeing their work now so nothing's selling and like they depend on that and i feel super like i want to help them so like i'm like let me buy your stuff so i do that whenever i can that's another way to help these people is buy their stuff because i mean even though they're online and they have lots of followers that doesn't mean they're making lots of money it generally means they aren't making not a lot of money at all (laughs) (laughs) for sure well i can personally attest you make incredible artwork i have a couple prints from you some pins stickers i'm definitely keeping an eye on what you're putting out to kind of add to the collection that sort of thing so yeah thank you yeah of course record store dropout seal of approval here and that's why we wanted to have you on to get back to the actual process of making the art actually i understand you do everything by hand and i think you've responded to people who are maybe kind of incredulous about this on your instagram stories by saying you don't really know how to use a computer to to make these sorts of things so (laughs) so i was wondering how did you just kind of stick with the analog method that's just how i started i am currently trying to learn how to use the computer effectively (laughs) and not just to play games right (laughs) because It's a valuable skill, and I wish that I knew more about it, so I'm just learning now. So that doesn't mean my stuff will always stay analog forever, but I do love drawing things by hand. I love the messiness of it. Yeah. I like that if I make a mistake, I can't necessarily go back and fix it, and I just have to accept the mistake as it is, even though it's hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. But until recently, I really did not know what to do on a computer. I would just get really mad. But now it's a little bit easier. (laughs) Okay. Now it's easier, and I'm having more fun with that. So maybe we'll see some different kind of artwork. But until then, or probably forever, I'll probably always be making stuff by hand because I do like having it physically in front of me and drawing the lines. And it's really cathartic for me personally. It's really cool to have that kind of like sensation of physical touch or like creation. Yeah. Yeah, like just kind of like a 3D way that you don't, necessarily get with digital art until you maybe like print something out but like the actual process of making it is just kind of like on this different plane in a way so that's that's really cool that it's cathartic for you beyond making everything by hand i'm wondering if you kind of have any space dedicated to where you make art or any kind of like habitual things that you do almost as ritual for either preparing to create or while you're in the process of creating maybe any music that you might listen to? I usually make art in my apartment. I do have like a separate spot. Like I have a desk with all sorts of stuff going on, like all my little tchotchkes and everything around it. And it's like really brightly lit. So usually I make art there. Okay. When I make art there, some of the rituals I have is usually I start by you know, taking like maybe like 20 minutes to like look through art that I have saved on my phone or Mm. pictures that I would consider inspiration that I've taken over that like the past week or that I found online. And then maybe once I figure out what kind of background I'm going to do, I'll take out a big stack of porn magazines and just like flip (laughs) through them and try and find something that I think would maybe look good with that. 
I used to just draw the background and then pick something after, but now it's become a little bit more dualistic as like okay, I need yeah. both things yeah. up front to see in order to make the best piece. I do listen to a lot of jazz music when I make mm. art now. That's new. I didn't always listen to music. I kind of used to sit in front of the TV, but I got a new apartment, so now I don't have to sit in front of the TV. I have space for a desk. <laughs> but yeah, I listen to jazz music, and I don't have like a specific jazz playlist. I kind of just put, when I'm going through YouTube looking at dumb stuff all week, I <laughs> put a bunch of like albums that come up on my recommended on there, and okay. I just listen to those ones on my watch later list. Yeah, yeah. I do have a couple of favorites I've listened to a bunch of times that are particularly good for working. And may I ask what those would be? Sure. There is an album called Wildflowers by Remo Palmer and Herb Ellis okay. that I'm obsessed with. It's so good. I haven't heard um, of either. Also, oh, yeah. it's I've never heard of either of them either until it came up on my YouTube. And I was like, this is an amazing album. I'm so mad I've never heard about this. <laughs> I also listen to this album called Night Lights by Jerry Mulligan. Okay. And then Strollin' by Chet Baker. For sure. And I don't have a specific album by Emily Remler that I like, but I really like Emily Remler. She's amazing. There was one I listened to. It was called like Butterfly something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was so good. But those are, I usually, I cycle those out and then I listen to the ones that I listen to all the time. Or the ones I find on my watch later, not the ones I do all the time. Okay. I cycle the ones I listen to all the time out, and then the ones on my watch later, depending on how long I'm going to be working on art or what kind of a mood I'm in. Because sometimes you want to hear something familiar. Going beyond what you listen to while you create art, I was wondering if we could move a little bit into talking about what you just listened to in general. I think the big one that we're going to touch on is Nick Drake. But you've also mentioned Of Montreal before we started recording today, which, oh my goodness, Of Montreal is a trip. If our listeners have not heard of that musician, I was wondering what your introduction to that was. What was the first song you heard? I think I was probably like 12. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was really, I was really young when I heard it, and I used to have a Zanga, I'm sure... That'll be a throwback for some a people. Zanga? Like a like it was like a blogging site. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I had a blog, and on the blog you could add music, and there was <gasps> specific zangas for like going to download music illegally. So I would go to these zanga sites, and I would illegally download MP3s from the zanga sites. <gasps> and I know so, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> And one of the bands that people always were talking about in, like, these really hip groups was of Montreal. So I downloaded, like, their whole discography. Oh, my God. And I okay. I think the first song that I heard, I think, was called Disconnect the Dot. Interesting. And it's, like, it's kind of different from the other things that they do, actually. Like, it was a weird intro because it's not very similar to everything else they do. Everything else is a little bit more upbeat. It's, like, slow and repetitive. But I just liked it so much. So I kept listening. I kept listening. And then, like, everything that they had like all the music that I had at that point just made me feel good Aww. so so I've just been obsessed with them ever since and I go in and see them every time I get a chance I usually try and go once a year to go see them really? play yeah I love Kevin Barnes so much so it's like honestly kind of embarrassing <laughs> how much I love him but how many times now have you seen them I think I've seen them six or seven times whoa okay yeah it's just the energy from those shows are, it's like hypnotic. And they have such a diverse audience that like, it's just literally like 
like any person coming off the street would be into their music because it's just like it's just happy music yeah yeah you just go to have a good time you're not there to like worry about everybody else or whatever's going on around you you're there to like dance your ass off and have a good time and i think that's yeah the the best part about it is it's literally just feel good music that's so great speaking of feel good music the first of montreal track that i ever heard and i was a teenager as well i'm not quite sure i could place the exact year but the song was wraith pinned to the mist which oh, is iconic off. yeah yeah which i i imagine is one of their bigger songs so definitely need to look more into of montreal i've encountered them a couple times as a college radio dj and it's just mm-hmm. weird stuff but i i haven't quite taken the leap to like sit down with entire albums yet so I, i'm totally going to go do that after we finish recording are you familiar at all with the music video for wraith pin to the mist you know i can't say that i've seen that music video i don't think i've seen a lot of their music videos i think i could only maybe picture two of them in my head okay okay well this is something that i would recommend that both you and our listeners pick up after this podcast or pause this podcast now and go take a look at it. It's this kind of really bizarre video in the sense that it's done in all these really bright colors with kind of like smiling animals and geometric shapes. So it's just like very first and foremost kind of like just a happy thing kind of reflecting the music. But as it goes on, like someone is like mugged or something like that or it looks like they're going to be mugged things are like kind of screaming and falling from the sky it like kind of gets creepier and creepier the more that yeah like i'm watching now and a penguin just pushed another penguin (laughs) off into the water what's up dude and it's not like morbid well okay that got a little morbid um (laughs) anyway y'all will understand when you watch the video that sounds like of Montreal to be like you described that to me if I didn't know who we were talking about I'd be like yeah it's of Montreal yeah right it just so we'll have to dig into that more but really cool to kind of get this of Montreal recommendation from you speaking of this kind of weird art and this is how I'm going to make my super professional segue into (laughs) Nick Drake right I think oh yeah (laughs) I think the big thing that people will associate with Nick Drake is the album Pink Moon. The cover art is done in this kind of surrealist style. It was the third and final studio album that the English musician Nick Drake released. It came out on the 25th of February, 1972. And incidentally, this was kind of serendipitous that you brought it up in our Instagram chat because we're recording this on Tuesday, June 11th, and I believe what would have been Drake's 71st birthday would have been next Wednesday, which we also want to acknowledge is Juneteenth. We'll include a link to what that is if you want to learn more. But bringing it back to Drake, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what this album has meant to you, either as an artist or just as like a person going through this world. So... Nick Drake, I think I was at my job and one of my coworkers came up to me and was like, here, here's this album, take it home, listen to it. And I did. And normally I, well, I shouldn't say normally because I love sad white men music, which is what <laughs> Nick Drake is, but I'd never heard of him before. And I was like, okay, 
I'll take it home. I listen to it. And I listened to it that night, and I've literally listened to it for three months on repeat in my car. Oh, my God. And this is before Spotify and iPhones Whoa. and stuff. So. <laughs> or, like, maybe it was after iPhones, but it was definitely before I knew about Spotify. It totally so would I have been your it. top artist of the year, for sure. For sure. For sure. I just had it in my car, in my CD player for like three months. And I just like, I'm I'm not really sure why I felt so connected to it. I mean, outside of the obvious of him being like an incredible musician, I think that I just really connected to the fact that he was so sad. Yeah. Because that's like something that I've struggled with my whole life. Like just like this impending sadness, like looming over me and that's kind of what i feel like pink moon was for him it was just like you could tell that he was like seriously going through it and like i think i just really connected with like him just being really sad and me being like yeah me too because i was like a teenager and i was also sad so it was just perfect timing for it i think in my life if i had heard that album at a different point in my life i don't know if it would have impacted me as much for sure but i do really associate him with like like he's my go-to like if i'm feeling bad i'll like immediately put on yeah nick drake to to feel better which is kind of like counterintuitive because it is sad music but i feel like it'll just make me get that one good cry out and then i'll be like okay i can like feel better now if that makes sense (laughs) yeah no it, it totally does make sense actually i believe i kind of encountered this album on and off but so a couple of things here, actually. First of all, like musically, right? Just like the textures of the guitars in there for me on several yeah. songs. I couldn't pick them out quite on the top of my head because usually when I listen to this, I just listen to the album from beginning to end. I can't pick a single track, even though they're all great, but I just want to like hear the whole thing. And it's only like half an hour, I think. It's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's 28 minutes. Yeah, so you can totally like knock this out a couple times, right? So for me, I initially have this kind of association with either the children's show Franklin or Little Bear, both of which I watched a ton as a kid and have really fond nostalgic memories about. And it kind of like brings me back to that space in a really weird way. And speaking about like, kind of like using it to feel better in a way, I revisited it in college, I think my senior year, kind of just under the academic crunch and stress and imposter syndrome that goes into being a student right and just took a walk listening to this album on repeat and there was actually kind of like this blood red moon over the campus that just like came out of nowhere because I was just like trudging along just kind of like trying not to cry but like kind of crying in public it was it was a great time and just like yeah just looking at the scene in front of like you like it's it sounds like it's it's from a movie right i'm i'm still quite amazed that it happened because it's it sounds fake yeah. to me i mean i could totally see why that would stick <laughs> in your mind because like that's what i want to happen when i listen to drake oh when i listen to nick drake yeah i want to be walking down the street and there be a pink moon <laughs> right oh well, well, actually, it seems like you're using a lot of this Instagram TV feature, which I kind of want to ask about in a second in relation to surefire excuses to give to your boss. So maybe if you ever do a kind of like a DIY adaptation for Instagram TV, right, when, when they start their streaming services, you can, yeah. you can have a scene of you uh, walking 
through a maybe maybe like a cardboard cutout with like a pink moon on the back oh, or something make it work like a cute little diorama yes oh yes <laughs> that would be cute <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't know something about his just like i think another thing that i feel about nick drake is like i feel like he was like everything about that album is so simple mm-hmm. like it's literally just him and his guitar and his guitar yeah and like he made this incredible music with just those two things and it's like man and he also was just like i don't want to talk to anybody i just want to make my music put it out i don't want to do any interviews don't talk to me so i relate to that as well (laughs) so beyond relating to it i believe you're 26 is that correct yes okay you're 26 i'm gonna be turning 24 this august drake was i believe 24 when he released this and yeah he committed suicide two years later at the age of 26 so in a really weird way even though this came out in 1972 it does kind of have this almost timeless quality and I want to acknowledge the episode three records from sundown which is on 99% invisible which is an excellent podcast they did an episode all about Nick Drake all three of his albums kind of just exploring who the musician is and they kind of talk about how like because he didn't sell a bunch of records at the time and kind of disappeared like you know his music wasn't overplayed in really famous films from the time he was kind of forgotten but then because of this it's like he he's more relatable than maybe like you know a Simon and Garfunkel song is or like a Beatles song is and maybe it's because he passed away so early as well that he like didn't turn into this like you know, guy who's now releasing like his 30th album or something like that, or is just kind of like maybe past his welcome in a way. Yeah. But I was wondering, so just like, how do you in any way kind of like beyond this, just like kind of intense, almost like empathy, like relate to this idea of like someone who would now be like in their seventies, who still managed to like speak to you in such a personal way across space and time it kind of just blows me away but I'm wondering how you like how you would grapple with that you know I feel like the subject matter of the album although it is a little bit interpretive like I'm interpreting it in my own way right. to be like oh he's in his mid-20s and he's trying to like figure out what he's doing yeah I feel like that's kind of like a timeless ordeal for people because like I'm not I'm not trying to speak for everybody but Based on the people that I know, like, a lot of people between, like, the ages of, like, 23 and 27 that I know are, like, really just, like, what am I doing? (laughs) What's going on? So I feel like his concept, does that include you? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) His concept of just, like, I don't know, just, he's just, like, trying to figure it out. You can put that in any time, and it's going to make sense to people because that's literally what the point of life is sort of like to figure it out yeah so i guess that's probably why i mean to be fair if i had heard that album like 50 billion times over the whole course of my life on the radio and stuff i probably would not be interested in it because i'm gonna be really honest i'm not interested in simon and garfunkel (laughs) at all um 
sound of silence can go away. Like, I, I might be different, but because I didn't hear it then, and yeah. I only heard it, like, as an adult, it made sense to me at that point. Because I could understand it. It wasn't just, like, a song that I heard a bunch of times as, a you know, an eight-year-old. And right. when you're eight, you don't think about anything except for, like, jump ropes and ravioli. Like, yeah, that's, like, it. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's my opinion on why it's so important, <laughs> but you know, I'm biased. As we wind down, I wanted to return a little bit to what events you've been doing since last August. It sounds like there's been a few of them. So I was wondering if you could talk about your experiences with these opportunities, maybe beyond what you kind of already mentioned earlier, and whether or not you have anything planned in the near future. So, for example, like, how did you get involved with any of these things? What were you worried about going into it? And what do you think you've taken away from those things? I haven't done a ton of events since last year around this time. I did my first event around this time last year, and it was called, it was specifically like a sex positive show. Okay. I've done a lot of specifically like sex positive stuff or stuff that's geared toward people that are looking for more, I don't know, erotic types of art or sex positivity. So the way that I got introduced to that was somebody that I know literally sent me a flyer from the other per- this other person that she knew and she was like they're looking for artists like you would be perfect for this so I just hit them up and they were like huh. yeah we need artists and you are perfect for this and Whoa. then it kind of just happened yeah and it was really fun it was a small event like in DC and the crowd was great I met a ton of nice people that I'm still in contact with now and I had a great time at that event so it was really it was really a good like intro to an event for me after that i did another sex positive event at a i know what the word for this is it was a conference yeah it was the woodhall sexual freedom summit which is a weekly or not weekly sorry a yearly event it's a yearly conference where people come from all over the united states and they do workshops they have classes on different aspects of sex positivity and you know lgbtqiap stuff for sure for um sure. Yeah, so it's, like, just across the board, like, all sorts of sex education. I personally didn't get to attend any of the workshops, which I was really sad about because I was vending. But I saw, I don't know if you know who Sangria is, Zoe Ligon. I don't, actually. She's a, I guess, a social media influencer, and she owns a sex toy shop called Spectrum Boutique, and she basically curates just a bunch of different, like, ethically sourced sex toys so okay. i was i was there and i saw her and i was really excited because like she's like one of my favorite internet people that was great because it was another sex positive event yeah, everyone yeah, was yeah. very open and welcoming and they were all like queer and it was like a great i had a great time doing that so that was another one and i hope to do it again this year if i'm lucky <laughs> the next event that i did i did a raw artist event which i don't know if you know what that is but it's like a national I don't know if it's a nonprofit or something, but it's like an organization that gets together artists for shows in like a bunch of different cities around the world. And I basically just signed up for it. And then they sent me an email and they were like, do you want to be part of the show? And I was like, yeah. And that was not a sex positive event. That was really just like a regular like art show. And I met lots of people from the area. And honestly, my response at that event was better than I ever could have asked for. I had a great time and I met lots of nice people. And I think that's really all the events I've done. I think I did maybe one other and that was another sex positive event. So I mostly have just been doing sex positive events. That one was Smut Slam and it's like a sex storytelling like night of fun and I just spend it at the like in the lobby, which was really fun. Do you have anything that 
you can tell us about events that might be coming up or do you not have anything scheduled so far? So I don't really have anything signed and sealed, you know, so nothing I have like put on the calendar. I have stuff that I'm looking into. Hopefully I'll be doing the Sexual Freedom Summit again this year, which will just be a vending event. It's not going to be like a big art show or anything like that. And then I'm trying to get into a couple of art shows at like breweries. So maybe I'll have some at breweries around the Northern Virginia area. All right. But other than that, I don't really have anything coming up. One way that our listeners can interact with you is on your Instagram and particularly through your stories, which I really like because it's kind of like my one-stop shop. I can get really good Twin Peaks memes, learn how to support artists, see you do karaoke, and I also found out from there that you've been told that you should start a podcast, which sounds really awesome. Do you know what you would do? Are you are you interested in this sort of thing? Or if you're not, what do you enjoy about the podcast medium? Because it sounds like you have been on a few podcasts. I... I'm a big supporter of podcasts. I listen to like 10 podcasts at least weekly Wow! because I, I love them. Yeah. But I think that I would love to do a podcast. I'm not entirely sure what the makeup of that podcast would be. <laughs> I've kind of talked to my friends about maybe co-hosting with me and they seem on board with it. So I think we're just going to like talk about it, maybe troubleshoot a few things. But one of the things that came up was me well, this is what my followers think that I should go on there and okay. get people to give me their secrets, like oh, I do on my Instagram yeah. story. And that would be really fun. Wow. I don't rely on other people for content weekly. Okay, so for sure. So I'll probably, maybe it'll just be a segment where I get secrets from people or I give advice, which is another thing that I tend to do on my Instagram stories, if I'm being honest. Unsolicited advice all around for everybody. <laughs> but other than that, we haven't really talked much about it. It'll probably just be us shooting the... I don't know if I can cuss on here, but shoot oh, the you, shit. You totally can. Just wanted to check. You know, some people are family friendly. <laughs> um, that's true. Yeah, that's but true. <laughs> probably just us, like, talking. I, my friend is, like, probably the funniest person I've ever met in my life, so that'll help. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe be funny together. But, yeah, I don't have any solid ideas, but I really want to do one. I just have to do it. Well, thank you so much for sharing more about that, for taking the time to speak with me today. Listeners can learn more about you at www.sarahbarnfart.com. You're also on Instagram as just Sarah Barnfart, I believe, but you also have a backup account in case you get banned on the first one. Is that correct? Yes, and it's just Sarah Barnfart, too, the number two. Awesome. Well, I would strongly encourage our listeners to go give you a follow and... Thank you for your thoughts about Nick Drake and other things today. Yes, thank you for having me on the show. It was a very fun time for me. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for this episode of Record Store Dropouts. Huge, huge thank you to Scott Gordon and Tone Madison for giving our project a virtual home. If you're interested in supporting local journalism, you may become a Tone Madison sustainer at tonemadison.com slash donate. Tone Madison, in turn, is housed in communication. You can learn more about communication at communicationmadison.com. Big thank you also to Disc and Saddle Creek Records for the use of the song Communication as our theme music. You can learn more about Disc at disc.bandcamp.com. Big, big, big thank yous to EJ, Shannon, and Evangeline for being patrons of this project. If you like this podcast and want us to grow, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash record store dropouts. 
We have a lot of goodies and exclusives for patrons, including a playlist of Kevin Barnes' music as of Montreal, as curated by Sarah Barnfart. We also have some bonus questions that we asked Sarah, including the vibrator that she uses in her stories when she mimics doing karaoke. It's great. If you like this podcast and you want to support us, like, rate, and subscribe, or do whatever you do with podcasts that you really, really enjoy. Not only does it mean a lot to us just as people, but it also helps our podcast grow and helps folks find us. Lastly, if there is an album, video, or artist that you want us to discuss, drop us a message at recordstoredropouts at gmail.com. And remember, always judge an album by its cover.